Hey, NoosaCast listeners, you can find every episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Please help us grow by subscribing or sharing the NoosaCast or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now, let's get this show on the road. In the last two countries have to go a couple months before the world championships to what's called the regatta of death. I feel like Rowan gets so little media attention. I'm like, oh my God, someone wants to talk to me. This is amazing, you know? <laughs> and I had like heard stories of my teammates having these symptoms and then like, you know, going straight to the hospital. So I was like, no, like this can't be happening to me. Welcome to the NoosaCast. What is a NoosaCast? It's where we bring local folk stories to life through conversation. All right, NoosaCast listeners, welcome to episode number five. Uh, episode number five is, is a pretty interesting one, Joel. Um, we're going to take a look at an Olympian, uh, 2020 Olympian, uh, the Tokyo Olympics, the COVID Olympics, and uh, Maddie Wanamaker is going to tell us a little bit about her experience uh, in sports in high school all the way through uh, training for the 2024 Paris Olympics. Yeah, good to be back, Tosh. Absolutely. And in another exciting news cast, I, Maddie, another incredible story. Who knew? Who knew that Maddie Wanamaker lived in our backyard and is an Olympic rower? Just yes, you know it, this kind of goes and and you know not knowing the story. Um, I was with some people today, and they asked kind of what what the podcast is. What what are we talking about? And I, I think really the heart of it is we're telling stories. We're getting stories out to Wisconsin to whoever listens um, about local people who are doing some amazing things. And I it, that's that's the whole idea of Red Smith in a nutshell as well. You were telling stories about people on a national level, and they're coming to Appleton to tell their story. Absolutely. Tash, I couldn't agree with you more. That was well said. And, and what we were trying to do, absolutely right. Tell the story. Just this person lives here in northeastern Wisconsin, and they're rowing in the Olympics, or they're going off at 16 to play professional hockey, or they're curling in the Olympics, you know, whatever the case, the, these are the people that we've found. And those are the people that we're going to continue to find. And it's a continuation of what happened at the Red Smith banquet. We had interesting folks all the time up on that stage. And as that show progressed, we kind of went to that interview style. But at the end of the day, we were just seeking out that story and just tell us who you are as a person. And that's what we, you and I certainly love that kind of content and information. And I think other people do as well, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it, it's you know it, that that's what this is all about. We're just we're just telling stories. We're listening to stories of people, um, letting people understand a little bit more about about our world around us. And you know, every single person has a story. You're walking down the street, the person you just passed has a story. That that's kind of what teaching is about to me as well. You know, every one of my students has a story. Every single day is something different. If we can get those stories out, I think this is a cool a cool podcast to do that. Let's explore our curiosity through conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we, like you said, we had a great conversation with Maddie and we have a great throwback with Jackie Joyner-Kersey as well. 
another Olympian, back-to-back Olympians in the same episode. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to head into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy uh, episode number five. Thank you, everyone. And please, this is super, super important just for us. Follow the show, like the show, download the show, share the show. That truly, truly helps us a lot. So we appreciate you guys for listening. And like Tosh said, enjoy. This week, we're taking an old look at new. I will start this one because I have an Olympic Olympic theme one for us. Oh, nice. August, the first week of August in 1936, American sprinter Jesse Owens wins the 200 meter in world record time and is his third gold medal of the Berlin Olympics. Excellent. Yes. Take that, Hitler, so, right? Yeah. So that I think that ties in nicely with our two uh, features this uh this week so yeah i would yeah, agree go back to little jesse owens 1936 that's pretty incredible i was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago they were talking about jesse owens they were actually talking about his shoes um but it, but it made me think i mean we have no idea how, how it would feel but i mean what incredible circumstances he goes into absolutely you know he just blows everybody away yeah and i tell you the, the shoes were nothing They're basically a piece no. of leather we were be better off running barefoot, I think. I think you're probably right. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the most historical Olympics, uh, at least ever, that I can remember. Yeah, no, no doubt. So what do you got, Joe? Well, Tash, I'm going to take you back to one of my favorite places. Um, I have a distinct memory of this as, as a child, but the year was 1960. North Richmond Street, where Mary's Place sits right now, <laughs> used to be the original a&W was on that that piece of property. Actually, I, I think really? pro- if I remember correctly, part of Mary's place, I think might have even been Mary's probably added on, but that's where the A&W was. And I can distinctly remember this. I, I grew up not too far from there, just a few blocks behind there. So of course you'd go for root beer or ice cream. And I remember having a babysitter one time and we went over there for lunch and I couldn't have been older than eight or nine. Got the old A&W hamburger, bit into it, and there came my tooth right into the hamburger. Lost the old <laughs> tooth in the A&W, and I never never forgot that. No, it's something you don't forget, right? No. And Absolutely not. Maybe low-key. Maybe, well, maybe that's where I developed my love of ice cream. Who knows? But <laughs> A&W root beer, still right? Still kicking around. Yeah. Yeah, still kicking around, still doing well. Yeah. Several of them in, in Appleton here. Yeah. Actually, July 30th, 1960, was their grand opening on on North Richmond wow. Street. So next time I see you, Tash, we'll, we'll have cheers to a glass of root beer. Or something else. That sounds good. <laughs> maybe a Casey Powell spotted, spotted cow, maybe? A Casey Powell spotted yeah. cow? Whatever hits our fancy. There, there you go. go. There you go. <laughs> All righty. Well, an old look at new. All right, Newscast listeners, uh, today's feature, uh, we're very excited to feature Maddie Wanamaker. Uh, we're going to listen to her story and talk a little bit about uh, what she did in high school that kind of prepared her, uh, went to University of Wisconsin-Madison and walked on the rowing team. And that walk-on has led her to be a U.S. Olympian. That's right. A, a 2020 Olympic rower working her way to 2024 in Paris. Tasha continues a string that we've got going here of Olympians that we've found in the in northeastern Wisconsin. It's kind of amazing. Who knew? Before the Nusa cast, I didn't know existed, and their stories are 
well, stories you dream to talk to people like this about. They're just incredible. Yeah, we're talking about people at the top of their game, top of their sport, which is absolutely incredible. I think you're going to enjoy this and learn a little bit more about rowing. I live pretty close to the Fox River, so I'll take my dog for a walk down there. And it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, I don't know if Lawrence has a team or not, but every once in a while, I'll catch the, the boat gliding down um, that gliding down the, uh, the Fox River. It, it's usually like at sunset, but it's, it's really peaceful. And that, that thing is awesome to look at. It's probably Fox Valley Rowing Club. Okay. They're down by like Tallulah Park is their boathouse, and it's not like super glamorous. Um but Lawrence also has a club team, but I think I only think they go out in like the fall or spring. So in the summer they wouldn't be on campus doing stuff. But did did you roll with Fox Valley Rowing Club when you were young? Um, my parents were involved in it because they both yeah. rode at Madison and they were kind of involved in helping start it and stuff. So I was like down at the boathouse, riding at the launch, and we would always go to um, I think it's tail of the fox in green bay which is okay. like one of the local rowing races because my dad would be dock master at it so i kind of like you know was around rowing and had seen it and stuff but if you compare like fox valley rowing club setup to like uw madison setup it's like <laughs> super different um so it, like even though i was like you know more grassroots like local masters rowing um and like not really exposed to like the side of junior rowing which is like huge in other places okay. and um college rowing as well so i was like so familiar you, but not so much doing when you it. were growing up your your parents were rowers or maybe not hardcore rowers but that you were exposed to it at, at a pretty early age yeah they rode in college and then would do like masters rowing which is like it's less they do some competitive races but it's more just kind of a club that you get out and you get fit and you meet people so i was kind of exposed to that side of it and they go out and boat sometimes and if they need coxswains which are like the you know small person who like drives the boat for lack of better terms like my mom would go cox boats my dad would go coach and that kind of thing which is so funny because normally coxswains are like you know under five five and like small people which my parents are not nope but yeah it's always fascinated me um you know as tash and i said we don't see a lot of rowing but the cadence is just it, it's mesmerizing the way you guys do that. So is that what the coxman is, is doing? Is he calling a cadence or I guess, what are the mechanics of actually rowing? Um, so you have a sliding seat that you sit on um, and it's on rails in the boat. And then to your left or right, if you're talking about sweep rowing, you have hold one R and there is a rigger that comes off the boat kind of in a triangle shape that's like directly next to you. And so your oar goes into the rigger and you kind of slide up and down the seat um, with your oar kind of in an arc with the rigger. Um, oh my God, the oar lock that's on the rigger being like the fulcrum of your lever. Okay. So then you like, put your oar in as like the back of the lever and finish it through. So you all kind of have to go together, um, levering the boat past the water instead of like thinking about, you know, pulling your arms, your, your legs do the work, your legs and your glutes and your back. Um, and then arms are kind of like secondary. Thinking about all of that training and getting to that point, I, I want to go back to your high school. Um, so there's not a rowing team at Nina. So what sports did you play 
And what did you do at Nina? I was a big soccer girl. So I did Fox Valley Road or not Fox Valley, Fox Valley, Paper Valley Soccer Club okay. um, growing up and like did competitive league, you know, since like age eight until high school and stuff. Um, and started doing like Nina summer fun runs. And so I did cross country and soccer mainly when I was in school Okay. and I played soccer for so long and I like really loved it. But I think there's also like, as it got more competitive and a lot of people who I was like good friends with went to specialize in other sports, the joy of it kind of slowly dwindled. And so then by my senior year and I like sprained my ankle a bunch of times. Um, but then I tried doing track my senior of high school, which was super fun. And I did high jump and some sprints and I just like got to do a little bit of everything. And I sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should have started doing track sooner. But it's also like that kind of kept me on the path to do rowing instead of going in a different direction. How did those other sports help you as you went to Madison and decided to walk on for rowing? Um, I think cross country really helped me like race mindset and be competitive because like Nina has a huge team. And I think they do a really good job of like developing people to have like a lifelong like love of activity and running. And like so many of the people that I ran cross country with at Nina, like are still like doing marathons and I just like see casually running around. So I think that just like, you know, wanting to like go outside and run with like winter running people and like negative below zero temperatures and that kind of stuff. Like, I got really used to like wanting to exercise and like having that be a part of my regime and just like getting to know people through doing like sports and stuff. Um, and also like there's a huge team and there are a lot of people. And so I was like pretty competitive and like always wanted to win, even though the frame that I have isn't necessarily like ideally suited for distance running. I think it kind of learned to like be gritty and be like super competitive with my teammates and know that even though like we beat up on, on each other, like in workouts and in practice and in cross country meets and stuff, like you still are like really close with those people and they're really good friends. So I think it taught me to kind of like appreciate my teammates, race against them, be competitive, but like compartmentalize that kind of stuff. And I think that's helpful for rowing because you know, you have to like work together. And if you're just always like, I need to win, I need to beat you. It's like, you don't end up being a fun person to like row with at the end of the day. If you just like spent the whole year being like, I'm going to pulverize you. And then you go race <laughs> and you're like, but oh, we're teammates and we have to collaborate. So I think that was really good. And I also did ballet, um, cool. kind of like pre like middle school, whatever. But I think that was like really good for like body awareness and like developing a sense of rhythm and, that's also like, you have to move with everyone and like be uniform and um, kind of like the discipline of being aware and always being focused. I think that was good. Just speaking of ballet, that's interesting. There's a lot of athletes, you know, Lynn Swan being the, the first that I can remember, but a lot of football players, wide receivers use use ballet. It's It's a useful tool, I'm sure. I think like developing like core strength and like different muscles and stuff. I totally, I feel like body awareness, all that kind of thing that, you know, if you're going to be a football player and you have, you know, stay in zone, make crazy catches, like it would be super helpful. I did yes. vintage show choir was one of my other, because um, oh, nice. I love singing and dancing and stuff. So that's more of like a, you know, active, it ends up being a little bit like boot camp where it's like, you know, you got to sing, you got to smile, 
you got to stay in line, but that was super fun. And I think it was good to have like a mix of kind of like artsy stuff. And I did band and like not totally focused on like one sport all the time. And I think it was really helpful to come be a walk on at Madison and have it be like a fun new thing I was doing instead of like something that I was like, you know, doing competitive, like AAU basketball and like being groomed for it, like my whole life. I think if I would have done that, I'd have gone to college and been like, oh, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I like reached the goal. What do I do now? You, you definitely bring up a good point. I think, you know, we've, we've run into this theme a few times now about doing multiple things instead of just specializing in one thing, especially at the high school and, you know, the teen level. And, you know, we see so much now where everything's so specialized. It's, uh, it's interesting to hear from an Olympian how important it was to diversify in high school. Yeah, I think too, like we have our um, physical therapist also sees like girls who are doing junior rowing and like college athletes and stuff. And I think the injuries that you get with rowing when it's like so specialized so soon, and maybe you're like learning the stroke when you aren't as like fully developed as a person and you get in weird habits that you can't break when you have like, you know, the body of like a strong 20 year old versus like your 15 year old self. Um, so I think like, I don't know. I feel like there's also news coming out about, you know, women's soccer and ACL tears and stuff like that. And so I think to have like a diverse movement portfolio um, throughout your like youth sports career is like important in being a well-rounded and like healthy person later on, or if you just want to continue your athletics career as well. Did you have an idea that you might do rowing when you go to Madison or is that something that hasn't really entered your mind yet. I kind of always, I considered other colleges, but like we have so much family there and like my parents are such big Badger fans that I feel like I didn't really consider anywhere else to go to college. Cause I'd like be in other campuses and be like, well, this isn't as good as Madison. Like nah, no lake, <laughs> not interested. Um, and I kind of knew that like, oh, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to play soccer there. Like you just have to be like, so 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 good at those sports so it's kind of like in my back of my mind as like not in like an escape plan but i'm like well soccer's not going great that's fine i'll just try rowing you know I had Man, how does one walk on as a rower that that's uh i mean you i guess we're familiar with walking on with with football but but rowing seems uh how does one do that we literally one summer i was in madison rowing and lifeguarding at the union terrace and um one of my jobs was to go to registration for Madison and you just find the tall people at registration <laughs> who look athletic and you're like, hi, have you considered, like, are you playing a sport? Would you like to row? And that's honestly how we get a lot of walk-ons and you start out with like hundreds of kids the first couple months and it kind of slowly dwindles down, but um, no experience necessary. I did a summer rowing camp the summer before because my parents were like maybe just try and see what happens <laughs> um but yeah a lot of people i know just kind of got in that way through word of mouth and you can really just start there's like no prerequisites um so if you're going to college at really any big university and you're interested in rowing <laughs> did someone actually come up to you and say hey you should try this or did you know from push from your mom and dad that this is something that, that I'm definitely going to try to do when I come here. 
I already knew I did an unofficial visit or no, I did an official visit at Madison because after that yeah. rowing camp, the coach was like, hey, what are you doing next year? Like, you should consider this. Um, but when I was at registration, someone did come up to me and I was like, hey, I'm already I'm already doing it. I'm one of your people. Um, but it was kind of a fun full circle moment to like have the like be one of the recruiters who did it. Um, and the men's coach who was also he would go to the registration every day. He was a walk on at Wisconsin and then he went to the definitely Beijing and I think Athens wow. Olympics and medaled in both of them. And he just like had his Olympic medals like in socks on the registration table. And you're like, ah, I started rowing. Here are my medals. Do it. And you know, just you see like 18 year old boys be like, oh my God, that's so crazy. But um Wisconsin has a huge tradition of walk-on athletes and we have, I think, five of us that are on the team this year for Worlds. Um, three female walk-ons, one girl rode in Illinois in high school, and then one of the guys is a coxswain um, who rode in high school. But, you know, probably the highest percentage of walk-on athletes on the national team. So it's kind of a wow. cool stat for Wisconsin rowing. Absolutely. Make the Badgers proud. Love totally. that. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned something uh, earlier, you know, the prerequisite to, to be a, a good rower is working hard. I got to imagine, I can't imagine really how, how hard you work. What, what is your typical workout routine? How, how do you train? I mean, we'll get into the Olympics and that a little bit uh, here, but what's your training like? I, I just, I can't even imagine the hours you put in. Yeah. Our typical training morning, we are starting practice at like 6:45 now. So you get up early and you have like a little 30 minute warm up routine. That's like a run and your stretches and PT exercises. Um, and then we'll row for like almost two hours. And we're kind of on a system where it's like one day it'll be like easier rowing. The next day will be like moderate rowing. And then the third day will be a hard workout. And that repeats like twice for six days. Um, and then on the days where it's like easy, easy rowing or easy intensity, then we'll also do weights training and then a land session with that. And then the other two days we'll do like an hour and a half or so of rowing in the afternoon. So you end up doing like two and a half, three hours of like pure cardio sure. along with like weights, stretching, transport, that kind of thing. Right. What what makes a challenging row? Does the, does the wind and current, does that play into it a lot or is it just the intensity that you're going with with the stroke if we're talking like training plan specifically we train a lot of like heart rate zones so even if it is like a windy day and you're like going into a headwind you're like not expected to be like as fast as you would be if it was a tailwind or like a flat day um so it's a lot of like heart rate intensity zone so your like lowest training zone is like low intensity and then it goes up and down and then you can control what heart rate zone you're in depending on your stroke rate so you could have a day that's like low heart rate intensity low stroke rate you could have a day that's like moderate heart rate intensity low stroke rate higher um, and it kind of fluctuates like that are you watching that i know that's all monitored i've seen that you know probably something not as intense as yours but similar to a gym where you're able to go back and see what what your workout is each day are, are you watching those analytics each day to see what, you, what your heart rate is the the bar graphs the pie graphs all that kind of stuff yeah we always wear heart rate monitors when we're rowing and so i'll have i have like a gps watch that 
has like heart rate and then you can also see like distance and kilometers time um stroke rate that kind of thing um and the person who's in stroke seat of the boat has a speed coach computer and that has all those metrics on it as well that's more accurate um but that's kind of that person's job and if you're you can have like multiple people with these like little computers but then it gets distracting sure yeah we're getting into more science we have a new high performance director and he's kind of like more interested in like the science and how to like optimize each athlete um so it's been a cool kind of like shift um in regime from this like the tokyo cycle to the paris cycle so it's been interesting I'll bet. So does that cycle then, I, it brings up a curious question. So you were in the in the Tokyo Olympics, the 2020 uh, Olympics and, and working your way to the 2024 Olympics in Paris. So what what are those four years like? Do you, um, I know there's a lot happens in there. It sounds like there's maybe been a coaching change. Big picture, what, what kind of happens in those four years for you broadly? The first, it kind of builds an intensity throughout the four years. So you're, every year has world championships in like august september so not olympic years you still have like big competition that you're working towards um and the first two years are important but third year is olympic qualification so that's we're going to this year um and depending on your boat class like i'm in the women's four this year and uh eight boats qualify for the olympics out of 10 spots total um so eight countries get to say we're sending a boat to the olympics and the last two countries have to go a couple months before the world championships to what's called the regatta of death or the final <laughs> final olympic qualification um in switzerland and the last two crews get through there so you kind of have these world championship blocks that you build towards and then in the summers kind of working backwards we have international world cup racing so there are three World Cups, and we'll generally go to one of them. We went to Varese, Italy this year, and they changed locations. And they're kind of more of like uh, not all countries come. It's I would want to say it's like more of a scrimmage than the formal World Championships. But they're cool to like gauge your speed and see who are going to be in what boats this year and test. Like maybe countries will have like really fast people in a four-person boat instead of a two-person boat so you kind of gauge that um and then we kind of segmented a little bit more this year with like training camps at altitude in the winter and then rowing more as like a full u.s um team so you're, you're qualifying right now or and in that that will be held where um qualifying? serbia serbia wow so mm -hmm. what is that? Is that how long is that event? I guess what is I'm curious to know, like, even how does the boat get there? We it's a week long event. So World Cups are also in a weekend, like Friday through Sunday. So they're kind of more like you've got to race a day and it's go, go, go um, at the World Championships. since there are just like more people there and you have more races to get through. It's over a week. So you might have like Keats on Monday semifinals on Wednesday, finals on Saturday, or if you have to go quarterfinals because you have bigger boat classes or you have like more entries in your event, maybe it'd be distributed differently across the days. Um, but we head over there and we have uh, Filippi manufactures our boats. They're an Italian brand. And so they've sent over a bunch of boats that we have like our American fleet. And then they we have like a whole nother set of boats 
in Europe that will kind of travel to like our pre-camps and to World Cup. And then they get loaded on a trailer and just get driven around Europe. Um, so we kind of have like alternate sets of equipment in different places. You mentioned that that there's two person and four person boats. Is there? Do you guys switch off? Is there? Do you specialize in one? Um, the smaller boats are generally used for like training and stuff. So we'll row the pairs kind of like in the fall. And pairs there's like a little bit less room to hide, so you can kind of like feel the impact that you have on the boat a little bit more um, in that shell. And if you're amazing the pair and you win us trials and you go to europe and you're like meddling then you can row the pair crew boat and maybe you'd be amazing and they have put you in a four-person boat it's kind of like what you're racing at worlds is what they think is going to be like the fastest people optimized in the like events that are the most open um so we kind of do it all like you row a little bit of everything to keep stuff fresh but um we're kind of locked into the four now since we did well at World Cup and um, are kind of continuing in that hall, hopefully sure. for optimal success. Is there a strategy to which seat you sit in then in, in that four person boat? Yeah, the person in stroke seat. So they're, I guess they're in the back of the boat. They cross the finish line last because we move backwards. Um, that's who can like set the best rhythm and they're like a really great racer because they control like, you know, the stroke rate and when you're going and kind of when moves happen. Um, and then the middle two people right now, I am behind the stroke seat. So I'm in three seat. Um, my job is to like match the stroke seat as well as possible and kind of translate the rhythm and be big and strong. Um, so that's kind of the job of, two and three, and then bow seat, which I have also sat in, in past years. Um, your job is kind of like, not quite quarterback, but you kind of, you're calling the shots. You're like, you have the most peripheral vision of what's going on. So you can kind of like see what's happening across the boat and you'll like make calls to move. Or if you see something happening in the boat, like bodies forward more, like blades need to be tighter, stuff like that. They'll kind of make calls and they, have like the mouthpiece to kind of, not literally, but like figuratively, they're the person who's like assigned to talk and direct what's happening. Cause we're also uh, a straight boat. We don't have a coxswain, only the eight has the coxswain. Um, so they kind of act as the coxswain in that sense. Going back to those boats, what is the cost of one of those boats? Ooh, I know a single costs, a nice one's probably like, 10k and then if you are getting a four person i've never like looked at buying a four okay. person boat yeah you don't need to <laughs> but i would guess they're like around thirty thousand dollars wow that's crazy yeah. you know you were talking about the technology has kind of changed that you're using now um how has that changed since you were at madison and working your way through is there a change in the technology of the boats change in training just a change in everything um i've seen some change in like oars used to be like tulip shaped so they're a bit more like symmetrical okay um like you kind of like picture a paddle um and they've switched to being more hatchet shaped so they're more like curved i guess they look more like an axe than they yeah. do a paddle 
Um, and Concept2 is a company that makes, they make like the rowing machines you'd see for like CrossFit and ski ergs and stuff like that. But they kind of are developed on the forefront of developing like ore shapes. So they have like comp blades that are a little bit smaller and different. Um, and stuff has gotten a little bit lighter, but you have to weigh your boat. There's like a minimum your boat can be. So you can't like, you can't be too inventive. Um, but like changing the riggers from like aluminum to carbon and there is more, you can put like telemetry on the boats. So you can have like meters on the oar lock and your foot plate and all that kind of stuff. And you can see like the speed your handle is going out and like how much power you're outputting. Um, oh. And they it, that used to be more primitive when I was in college, they would just have smart oars. Um, so I think it was just measured on like the oar itself, but now yeah. it's like you could put more stuff like on the boat. Um, but I'm not sure if that's because I like was it, it just the elite rowing setup wasn't like available to me in college. Sure. So I'm not sure like how old that is. But how was it being a college athlete and being at Madison and juggling the athletic side and the school side and uh, still being successful? I think it was really good for me because like in high school, I feel like I was so regimented and like every part of my day was filled with something. Um, and when I came to college, I think even with rowing, I was like, wow, this is like a lot of time that's like not scheduled for me. Um, so I think it really helped me to have rowing to kind of one, like have someone like a little bit more accountability for like where I was going to be and making sure I was going to class and going to practice because, you know, at Madison, if you got like a lecture of like 200 people like no one's going to notice if you're not there but if you go to practice and like someone's counting on you to sit in two seat of this eight and you're not there like seven people can't do the practice so it was good to kind of like have a little more accountability have friends who are like hey we're gonna go study now would you want to do that like after we have dinner um so i think it put me in like a good community of people who are like on top of their stuff so that i could also like learn from example obviously i didn't have college without rowing. So I can't really speak to the other side, but I thought it was like a helpful community to be a part of and get me going and a new place and independent and away from home for the first time. It, where do you reside now, Maddie? What do you do? I am in Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, very nice. Got to be being um, a roar in Princeton, New Jersey. You got to be a bit of a rock star. Yeah. It's kind of, we don't have like a super huge presence here, like as the national teams to be like, Oh, I'm a rower. It's like, Oh, for, like Princeton University, and you're like, not quite, did not go there. But yeah, it's definitely pretty cool. I'll bet. I'll bet. So are you rolling pretty much every day? You're oh, yeah. Full training mode? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How many hours a day would you say you're, you're training? I think like purely doing activity, probably like four, but, you know, transport, stretching, going to PT, that kind of thing probably puts it closer to like five, I would say, six, depending on your day. It's a full-time job. I know your your dad mentioned to me, and maybe you want to talk a little bit about You just had a recent injury, right? Yeah. And surgery. So how is that yes. going for you? And what was that? <laughs> um, I had a weird, I've like heard of this happening to people before. So I was like kind of glad that I had like a little bit of frame of reference for what was happening to me. But when you row, you're like stuck in this position for a long time. So I had my 
the spot between my collarbone and my first rib like got compressed. And so my muscles had kind of like pinched the area where all of my blood was supposed to go to my arm for like a few months before I was having like tingling down my arm and like my hand would be numb. And so we're at altitude camp in Colorado and I um, was like having weird pain and all that kind of stuff for like a day. And then the next morning I woke up and my whole, my arm was like purplish and red and swollen. And I had like heard stories of my teammates having these symptoms and then like, you know, going straight to the hospital. So I was like, no, like this can't be happening to me. Like, and I was like, our weights coach was in Colorado at that time. And I was like, Pete, like, does this look bigger to you? Like, please. And he was like, oh, okay. Like, let's get out of the measuring tape, but you're in trouble. Like, let's walk down to the medical office, which was honestly great that I was there. Cause I like walked in and there was like a physician, like sitting at his desk and was like listening to me talk. And he's like, okay, let's come back. And then he was like, yeah, this looks bad. Like, let's just send you to the hospital, which was like also basically around the corner, like within sight of the Olympic Training Center. So, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, time to do this hard workout. And then in like an hour, you're like sitting in the ER, like getting tests done. So that was like a pretty whirlwind situation. Um, And then that was like, I had a blood clot because the thoracic outlet the like space between whatever was clogged. So they like were able to that day, like go in and undo the blood clot. But they're of course like, oh, did you eat this morning? I was like, yeah, I had like a single yogurt. And they're like, oh, got to wait 12 hours before you can go to surgery. So like on top of like being stressed and all this stuff, like I wasn't allowed to eat or drink anything. It's just like, this is the worst day ever. Like I'm so hungry. I like get out at like seven or 8 PM and like haven't eaten anything all day. So then I was kind of like, you know, I had to accept pretty soon that like that was the trajectory that I was on. And I had had some like weird vascular issues in 2020 that had me injured for like a lot of the Olympic year. And I'd come back and still made the boat then. So I was kind of like, okay, like you've got a frame of reference, like you've overcome this injury before, like this is pretty bad objectively, like surgery is going to suck. This is going to be horrible. But I was like, I knew that other people had had pretty quick recovery times. And like, once you take out the rib it's like it's not going to happen again because it's just like you cleared the space um so with like some rowing injuries where you keep getting broken ribs it's because you have like structural problems or like your muscles you're rowing the wrong way so at least i knew that like this wasn't something i had done like i hadn't neglected my pt there's like nothing anyone could have done and i was honestly kind of lucky that it had happened in february and not like now because there was time for me to like rehab and like get back into racing and it was like a very tight timeline I pretty much like I pretty much took it right down to the wire but um you mentioned earlier uh, that that you train at altitude what does that do I'm just curious what what that is what what are you doing what what does that accomplish at altitude um two things first you increase your like red blood cell count so you are like depleted at first. And then you, after like three weeks, you start to kind of like build back up. And then when you come back down to sea level for like the week after you have like superhuman, like not superhuman, but you just have like elevated levels of red blood cells so you can move everything faster. Um, And then it also increases your training load. So your body gets used to like training in a deficit 
Um, and then when you go do like sea level hard training later, you are like more optimized to be able to do it because your body has like done it worse or done it with like worse uh, effects. So then you kind of have like the mental and physical side, you're able to um, push through some of that fatigue better because you've done it um, at altitude. Sure. I, I have to ask you about one other experience, just being at the Olympics, walking out for the opening ceremonies. I mean, what is that experience like uh, in, if you're from Nina, Wisconsin, and, and you're, you're in Tokyo for the opening of the Olympics? Um, well, it was COVID, so it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> It was definitely really cool to be there and be in the village and be amongst all the athletes. But um, we had to race the next day. So even though there was an opening ceremonies, we were not allowed to participate and went to bed early and like there weren't TVs in the room. So we didn't even like watch it, which was kind of sad. Um, but it was so cool to like be at the world championships. You kind of get the sense of like, oh, these are all of like the people who you know, people are like, oh, you're so crazy. You like, I can't believe you do all this training. Um, like you're so dedicated. Like, why don't you just take a break? Like go start a real life. Um, and it was really cool to like be at the Olympics with like everyone who's in that boat and kind of see, like we saw Yao Ming in the dining hall and like, you know, the gymnasts are walking around and, you know, you get such a sense of like, you're part of something bigger. It's so much bigger than just yourself. Um, which you don't really get when you're just kind of like slaving away in your erg room, like doing your lifting with your like 20 other teammates. Um, so it was like an amazing kind of like validation that, you know, the work is worth it. And, um, you know, the world kind of gets to like see it. And I, it was sad to not have my friends and family be able to come, but still like having them, there was like, you know, a big group of people at Green's Poor House and Nina all watching sure. and like, you know, a lot of the local businesses had like signs up and stuff like that. So it was really cool to feel um, like appreciated and be on the biggest stage there is for rowing. Well, 2024 will be the year to uh, to hang with Maddie. Yeah. Oh, totally. I am really I'm really hoping that, you know, everything goes to plan. No pandemics happen. Um, all that kind of thing so that it can be a quote, normal Olympics. <laughs> right. So you're at Madison, you walk on. When when do you get an idea that, hey, this is something that I'm good at. This is something that I could continue at a high level. When did you get that feeling? Um, I think after my first NCAA championships, my sophomore year, um, we, like the big 10 has a big like freshman team. So I just raced on the freshman team my first year. And then I was like brought onto varsity the second year. Um, and I think going to national championships and seeing like all of the best rowers from all across the country. Um, I think before I kind of had this sense of like, oh, like this team is amazing. Cause they're just like bigger and stronger and whatever. And I was kind of just kind of like walking around and like eyeing people up and I was like, I think I could be as fast as you, you know, like you're, we're the same size, like, and you're winning NCAA. It's like, I could do that. Right. And I had, uh, our assistant coach who coached me in the two V was, um, Megan cook. And she's now the head coach at Duke, but she rode on the national team and was part of this legacy that kind of started the U S women's eight being like world championship winning. And she like set the world record in the eight. And so she kind of afterwards, was like, she never was like, you can go to the Olympics. She was kind of like, you know, 
if you you could like you have potential in this sport and like a very she's like has a very steely demeanor and is like very intense and she's like you could be good at this like whatever you decide your potential is i think you can reach and i was like okay so i kind of set my sights on making the under 23 team um and then in 2016 after my junior year i made an under 23 team um and we I raced in the quad, which is like the lowest priority boat. And it's a sculling boat, which is two oars instead of one, which we don't do in college. And I hadn't really done before. Um, and we went to Worlds and got last. And I was like, oh boy, like I thought I was pretty good before. I thought I like had it all going on. I thought I was the best. And like, now I'm very humbled. And um, I like went back to Wisconsin my senior year and it's like, okay, I know what my weaknesses are. I know what I need to work on. And um, I kind of had the sense that I wanted to keep going after that. Um, so I was like, you know, let's try to like make the top out of the next under 23s. Um, and so the summer after my senior year, I was in the under 23 eight and we got silver. We had a boat malfunction in like the last, the sprint of the race in our, um, our two seat seat like jammed and it had like gotten melted in the sun because it was like super hot 100 degrees and so instead of like rolling on the little rails she was like scooting back and forth on the deck of the boat um so we got second i i assert we could have won we could have been in contention to win i'll be diplomatic but um that was like a you know i was like god damn like i can't I can't have that be my last experience of rowing. So that kind of like pushed me into being at the training center and training with the national team where I just got humbled more. Um, but that was kind of my path of like, oh, like I could do this. Like I'm kind of doing this, but not really well. Um, and then just like always being humbled. <laughs> Are there a few people that you really look up to in this sport or who made a big influence on you? Who would those people be? I would definitely say Megan Cook, who is my um, my coach. She like picked me out of junior rowing camp and was like offered me an official visit and all that kind of thing. Um, and after she coached us at under twenty threes and eight, and we had that malfunction. And after after that race, I was kind of like, should I go? I was going to go to this club in upstate New York, and then I got invited to the training center. And she's like, Maddie, like you cannot like no you have to go with the best people like you're not gonna get better and like after when midway through college i was like oh i think i'm thinking about doing this coaching program will you write me a letter of recommendation she was like no like i if you want to row go row full time but like i do not endorse you like splitting your um your attentions anywhere so she was super um influential and then actually vicky opitz who um like multi-world champion was on the national team with me the last five years. She just got hired as the head coach of the Wisconsin program. Um, but she was in or she was on the national team and just like killing it when I was in college. And she was really helpful to like see someone who was also a Wisconsin walk-on like come up through the national team ranks. And like, we have similar like statures and stuff. And she's not like the biggest, strongest person, but she just like works so hard and has such a good attitude. And so she was like really influential to me in college to like strive. Like I, I thought I could do it cause she was doing it. And Grace Latz also who um, went to the 2016 Olympics and won world championship in 2015 and 
stuff. So the two of them. And then now, like I rode with Vicky in the 2019 World Championship, just is awesome. And we rode the pair together in 2020, which is really fun. Um, so like having her as a teammate, like, I don't know. I think she's like a super worthy role model for me in college. And then like is a peer and I'm super excited to see this like next chapter of her rowing career, like influencing this whole program and hopefully taking Wisconsin to the upper echelon of the NCAA. That's awesome. Can you see yourself coaching long after your, your rowing days? Yeah, I'm doing um, right now. I'm taking a break from writing a paper for um, the masters of sports leadership program at Madison. Um, so I'm, doing that totally online right now, which is a worthy brain break from the actual rowing. And it's really cool to like, we have a lot of coaches in town right now to coach the different boats. Um, and we've just been working more closely with like more people have brought in, been brought in the last couple of years. So it's really interesting to be like doing this coursework and kind of like learning all of the like psychology behind coaching and some of the like more classroom teaching practices that apply to coaching and then seeing like how the different coaches that I see every day do it with their own certain flair and like like oh that was really smart that like goes along with the studies and the research in this realm so what, what would you say makes a good coach if, if you were to pick and maybe not a person but just the characteristics of a good coach what do you look for I think that you have to like really care deeply about your rowers um and I think that I was able to coach a little bit at our junior program my first year. And I was, my favorite part was like watching the kids like progress and grow. And I think the coaches that I have liked the most, maybe they weren't like the most like warm and fuzzy kind of people, but that you like knew at the end of the day, they like had your best interests in mind and like wanted you to like grow as a person as well as an athlete. And I think that the component of like, you're more than just like, the body in the boat and you like, they care about your life and like how you're doing legitimately. And I mean, knowledge of the sport is good. Uh, yeah. And I think like willing to listen and like take feedback and grow and have a passion for the sport and like be excited to show up every day, I think would be my top characteristics of good coaches. I just have one final question for you. Out of all of your accomplishments, and I know there's been many, are you most proud of the most promising novice award? Yes. <laughs> uh, I think it's so funny. I It's the only award I won at Wisconsin, so you got to hang my hat on it, you know? <laughs> but um, I don't know. You know, they just saw something in me, and uh, that's what... That's what's in my Instagram bio now. So yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking they maybe they probably picked the right winner that year. Somebody saw something in you. And, you know, we mm -hmm. talk about that with a lot of different people. And, um, you know, you as you get into coaching, you're going to see something in somebody as well. So that's mm -hmm. a really cool thing that you still remember. Yeah. Time. Wasn't the MVP, wasn't the like, didn't get the award for being the fastest and strongest, but, you know, most promising. I can deliver. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> One more thing. Where should we be looking for you in the next few months or, you know, what's going on that we can kind of uh, use this podcast as a, a method to say, hey, we had Maddie on so many weeks ago. Um, 
here's where to look for her in the future. We I'll be racing in the women's four at the world championships in Serbia, starting on September 2nd through September 9th. Um, and it'll be on the Olympic channel, but you can also live stream it on worldrowing.com. What an amazing interview. Um, I honestly learned so much about, about rowing and, um, we learned a ton about Maddie as well. What a, what an amazing story, Joe. Oh, literally one of the coolest people ever. I mean, her personality, just her drive. It's, it's infectious. Just a couple mentions, September 2nd through the 9th, uh, Maddie will be in the worlds in Serbia. Um, so make sure you can follow her, uh, USA rowing. Um, her Instagram page, Madison's uh, UW Rowing Instagram will also be following her. And um, you'll also be able to stream um, from the uh, U.S. Rowing page as well. Absolutely. And follow follow the NoosaCast uh, social pages on Instagram, uh, Twitter. It's probably our, our best spots, Facebook, even the Red Smith Awards. You can follow those. But we'll, we'll follow Maddie. We'll follow the Armstrongs. We'll follow CJ Ike. Everybody we've talked to will... You know, follow our social pages and our YouTube. We're, we're going to keep track of, of all these folks, and we'll have them back on, too, and, and, and see how they competed. You, you know, we, we, we heard the story of how how hard Maddie trains. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's basically her life. Every single day, She she's training but working towards that goal of being in the Olympics. And gosh darn it, Tash, we want to be there to follow her, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Tash, it's taken us five tries to get this here this far, but we finally, I think, have this segment nailed down with, with a, an appropriate name. It's forgotten, and I'm never forgetting. It's a little easier to say. I don't have to have the Fs running around in my head like they've been for the last six weeks. So I think this is much easier for us <laughs> to understand. So clarifies exactly, it for everybody. Exactly, and especially you and I. So we need clarification. <laughs> but with that said, Tash, it's forgotten. What's forgotten in your world? Uh, forgotten in my world is the uh, new arrangement of College Avenue. Ah, uh, yes. I, I know it's supposed. It is supposed to clear up uh, traffic and make it flow better. But right now, it is not flowing better. It is little traffic jams here and there. Um, I'm sure we'll get used to it because they stuck a lot of money into this trial, but. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I like, I like the way it was before. Surrender to the flow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how I feel. You and I talked about this a little bit and I completely get what you're saying. Now I'm a biker and it's kind of cool to be able to bike down college Avenue. I, I kind of get a rush out of that, but you can't turn left anywhere. So it does, it kind of defeats <laughs> the purpose. So I, I don't really bike down college Avenue all that much. So it's not biker friendly. Yeah, I know. I mean, left. it definitely isn't. I mean, literally, how do you turn left? Uh, you either you either go right. into you're supposed to cut over into the turn lane, so then you're in the middle of the street, maybe, or I don't know, or you go cutting through traffic. Yeah, I mean, like Frogger. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I got a little George Costanza in me. I can do that. <laughs> but no, I, I I get what you're saying, and and that does uh, that that makes a, a lot of sense. But how long do we have this? A year and a half, two years, I think they said of, of trial. I uh, yeah, it's it's a trial. So, yeah, it's a good year for sure. So, yeah, we'll see. Stuff like this maybe grows on us over time, but all right. What do you what do you have? Well, Tash, 
it dawned on me when you and I were, were interviewing Maddie, I asked a question of her about the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, and I was all excited to hear her answer about, Maddie, what was it like to, to be in your first Olympics? And, you know, what, what's it like walking into a stadium? And her answer was a little deflating because I completely forgot that it was COVID. And it made me, <laughs> I guess I've forgotten COVID, which is maybe a good thing that, oh. uh, it just doesn't dawn on me anymore that when we're talking about things, especially things that have happened over the past few years, you just talk about it like it never happened. Certainly, I haven't really yeah. forgotten COVID, but I guess subconsciously, maybe I've forgotten COVID a little bit. Being in education, I, I haven't forgotten <laughs> sure. because this comes up all the time yet. So a little different different part, but yeah, as, as far as the general public is concerned, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind now. It's not a national, it's not a an emergency anymore and people have kind of moved on so. yeah i mean definitely a strange time it, during that time but yeah, we don't have to get in a long conversation about it but i mean certainly things have changed in particular you know hours Absolutely. of operation in the in the service industry and in the restaurants and, and things like that i mean right. can anything stay open past 7 8 o'clock at night <laughs> tough for a guy to eat sometimes well, I, exactly exactly <laughs> well anyway i guess i'm glad that i've sort of forgotten COVID as we move on to, yeah. I'm never forgetting, Tash, what are you not forgetting? Well, this is kind of funny because it ties into what you were just talking about. Um, the closure of Houdini's. Yeah. Houdini's Gastropub. Yes. Uh, that was a go-to restaurant for my family. Uh, when we couldn't figure out where we wanted to go, if we were going out for dinner, we'd go to Houdini's. Uh, they had a great beer selection, great food, and uh, definitely going to miss that, uh, that little restaurant. Uh, remember when it first started and it was just basically a hallway right. and then they added on that expansion. So yeah, I'm not never forgetting Houdini's gastropub. Yeah, for sure. that was really good. I absolutely agreed. And they, that great patio, great location. Um, no, did I taste of Thai, I believe is going in there. Correct. Yeah, it is. Yes. Uh, that's really good too. That'll so be we'll an see. interesting space for them. So um, yeah, we'll see how, if they can make a go of it. Well, I stumbled across something tonight, or at least I, I thought we're, we're recording this on a Wednesday night. And in my neighborhood, there's a really cool outdoor yoga session that you can go to. It's over near Riverside Cemetery. And I love, you know, yoga is awesome. And you spend some time on your back. And, and as you're in the, say, in the beginning pose or something, you're staring up at the sky, laying on your back. And I literally thought this while, while I was doing the practice. I don't lay on my back and stare at the sky and I'd free, you know, I don't ever want to forget that feeling. It's cool as hell, you know, do it at night and see the stars, you know, is getting close to dusk tonight and watching the clouds and the sun and the birds and the planes fly over and just the, the trees. It's really, really, I, I just don't ever want to forget the feeling of just flat out laying on your back and looking at the sky. It brings you back to being a little kid. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And it's so relaxing. There's no reason we should all be out in our backyard for, 10 minutes a day, just lay on our back and look at the sky, right? It might make the world yeah, a better right. place. <laughs> One back lane session at a time. <laughs> well, we finally, Tash, I think, got this, got this segment nailed. It's forgotten, and I'm never forgetting. Welcome to the throwback portion of this episode. I'm very, very excited 
to bring you Jackie Joyner Kersey, um, an amazing athlete, uh, just recently, March of 2023, inducted into the International uh, Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, not only an amazing athlete, but an amazing person as well. Absolutely. And, and considered and voted upon to be one of the greatest or the greatest all around female athlete in the history, which is uh, that's saying something, I would say, Tosh. Yeah, four-time Olympian, three-time gold medalist. Uh, believe that they have said that she was probably the premier athlete to ever do the heptathlon and long jump. Uh, that's that's pretty pretty uh, high praise for as far as an athlete is concerned. But I think what's more appealing about Jackie Joyner Kersey is just who she is as a person as well. A- absolutely. I mean, her story. So you, you'll hear a bit of it in the throwback and then you can catch the full version on, on YouTube starting Sunday morning, but it's, it's a, it's a full circle story where, where she didn't have the easiest upbringing or, or growing up years, you know, t- tough family, tough circumstances. And she overcame that. And, and you know, she's had a lot of tragedy in her life, but continued to be, well, you know, the greatest athlete, female athlete ever she overcame a lot and she talks about it. And, and that's, I think probably at the heart of why she gives back so much and, and has so much concern and just genuinely cares for her health, you know, for her fellow community member, really. Yeah. And I think what's really cool also is, you know, that, that big tie in with education. Um, the first thing she did when she got here was go to the uh, schools in the Appleton area school district and meet with kids. Yeah. And I remember hearing some of these kids talk, um, as a teacher and just how amazing and what an honor it was for them to uh, sit down and listen to her. Absolutely. She has such a presence when she walks into the room and, and the way she speaks and the way, way she, I guess, lets you understand her story. It, it's, it's very engulfing. You're among greatness. You can just feel it when certain people work, walk into a room and she's one of them and you can just feel that greatness that that is her. We really hope you enjoy this. And if you want to hear the full interview after you listen to this on the podcast, please go to our YouTube channel and check out the full interview um, as well as other interviews that we've had for our throwbacks. Everybody enjoy. Red Smith Sports Awards Banquet Throwback. Red Smith Award, of course, goes to someone who has made some unique contributions to sport in Wisconsin. And also epitomizes the great values that Red Smith exhibited. Let's give a Red Smith welcome. Welcome to our stage, the Shield Sports Nice Gal Award winner, Miss Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Welcome. When people say Jackie Joyner-Kersey, one of, if not the best female athlete of all time, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I've always been one to keep things in perspective and to know that the reason I've been able to do the things that I was able to do was because of the hard work and all the people, and when I say people, I mean coaches that saw the potential in me that I didn't know that I had. You know, when I went to my coaches and said I wanted to go to the Olympics and they told me you have to be willing to work hard. Mm-hmm. 
and I never, never envisioned you know, winning gold medals or breaking records or being called the greatest or whatever they want yeah. to call me. That wasn't a part of it. It was just wanted to, wanting to make myself uh, become one of the best. And I didn't know what all that meant. Mm -hmm. Where are the Olympic medals at right now? I think in a safe place. <laughs> <laughs> Three golds, a silver, two bronze. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> I know there's a little story to this, but the three golds, fantastic, the silver, fantastic, but one of the bronzes may be the most special to you. Yes, and you know, all the, the medals are significant, have their own significant meanings to me. Uh, the first one, the silver medal, was my first Olympic Games. And then being, you know, leaving those Olympic Games, knowing that I had the ability to win, but I doubted myself in 84 yeah. because I had never been injured. And here I am competing with a heavily bandaged leg. And so that means something has to be wrong. Mm -hmm. And so when I went into the first event, I didn't go there thinking like a champion. You know, I was anticipating a pain that was never there. Yeah. So in 84, after going through the first day, the first four events and coming back the second day and knowing in my heart that I hadn't performed to the level that I needed to perform at to really earn the gold medal. And so I finished second and I missed the goal by three points, but oh. yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't deserve to win because I wasn't thinking like a champion. And brother had just won the gold medal in the triple jump. And I remember I was crying, but I was really happy for him because no one had even picked him. You know, they were saying, oh, Jackie gonna win the gold, but you know, he, he my brother being the oldest, yeah. won the first gold medal in the family, <laughs> so which is great. <laughs> but I, you know, I embraced him and I said to him that if God blessed me to make another Olympic team that I wanna be the toughest athlete out there mentally, because physically I know I have the gift to do it, yeah. but mentally I just wasn't, wasn't quite ready yet. So 88, I go and I win double gold, 92, a gold and a bronze, and then 96. Again, it comes full circle with the games in Atlanta, and I had to pull out of the heptathlon. I had injury in my uh, right leg, and, and it, was, it was tough, you know, for Bobby, my, my husband, who my coach, and you know, he said, no, I'm not gonna allow you to do this to yourself. I'm gonna pull you out and see if you could perform well in the long jump. So it gave me extra days to really try to work with the leg, work with my physical therapist. And, and so I went into the long jump competition. Uh, first attempt, you know, I qualify, go back, rest up, come back the next day. And, you know, I'm coming down the runway, I'm jumping, I'm flying in the air, landing in the sand pit, you know, just knowing I'm jumping like 23 feet. <laughs> you know, I look at the morning, they go, 21, I'm like, 21, oh God, I got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so I go back and I'm trying to rub the leg out, you oh, know, cross friction it and, oh. and then it came down to the last jump. And this is the reason why the bronze medal is so important to me because, you know, I talk to young people all the time about believing in themselves. You know, when, they, when everyone else counts you out, if you believe, you can turn a doubter into a believer, but you gotta believe it first. Mm -hmm. And so I stood on the back of that runway and I visualized myself coming down the runway, attacking the board, 
and climbing in the air, looking for the, the tops of the tree, tree branches, you know, to really help me to really get the trajectory in the Focus air that I was target. looking for. Yeah. And I said, you know, and I said to myself, I said, Jackie, you got to go for it. You know, if the leg collapse, fall out, they're going to send a gurney out there and pick you yeah. up. But at least give it all you have to give. And, and that's what I did. I came down that runway. I attacked the board. And at that moment, I was willing to pull every muscle in my body to get the job done because I knew I could do it. And, and I think having that attitude, I came away with the bronze. I didn't go trying to win a bronze. I went trying to win a gold medal, but I just came up short and it was a bronze medal. I'm inspired. I'm about ready to run around the block. <laughs> no, no, no. You uh, spent a little bit of time today. I don't know if we have some of the pictures. Yeah, we do. You spent some time talking to some kids at Madison Middle School today here in Appleton. What did they ask you? What kind of questions did they say? Oh, Jackie, God. help me with this. I have a question about what? Oh, wow. You could tell that um, they had done their homework. They were asking questions from preparation, uh, dealing with obstacles. Mm -hmm. uh, some had anyone done anything to you that would cause you to want to quit? Ooh. And, and so I read a lot into a lot of the different questions and I tried to wrap my answers around uh, informing them that um, if you love what you do, because one of the questions was like, do you like or do you like what you do or something like mm -hmm. that? And I mm -hmm. was like, but if you love what you do and I don't care how hard it is, but if you believe strongly in it, then the support around you will come. Uh, that's why your coaches, your, your teachers, or, and then if you're dealing with something that, you know, your peers or someone else might not quite understand right. where you're trying to go, it's not important for them to understand. It's important for you to always know what your goals are mm -hmm. and what you're working towards, and then make sure that the environment uh, that you are around is positive and that it's encouraging and motivating. Because sometimes you, you might think, your friends are your friends, but your friends sometimes could be your, uh, we know, <laughs> <laughs> your worst enemy at times and holding you back. You competed in the heptathlon, and many people probably don't even realize you did it with asthma. Yeah. How miserable was that? Very. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it, at times it was, I mean, I performed well in the eyes of people, but in my heart, I knew I wasn't getting any better. And there were times when I would look like a world-class athlete. Mm -hmm. And there were times when I looked like I shouldn't even be out there. Yeah. But I had to really educate myself about the disease because I really believed like I was superwoman. And I didn't want to take my medicine like I should have yeah. so I could really uh, control my asthma. And then I, you know, my attitude had always been that, you know, no one can outwork me. I don't care what my competitors are doing is that if I even think they might begin a mile in, then I'm going to get up and go do a road run. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so when it came to asthma, I started looking at it, at it like one of my opponents. So it was either a German or a Russian. And, that, oh. and, my, and, my, <laughs> and my, co my uh, pulmonologist and the nurse was like my coaches. So I had to really respect their knowledge. And the things that they were telling me were, were for me to be, uh, get better. And, and I realized that, you know, I'm not going to be able to run, jump, and throw forever. 
forever, but I'm still dealing with, you know, being an asthmatic. You know, I still have to take my medicine still today to keep it under control. Well, that's good because some of the Russian athletes kind of talk like I do. Well, talking is one thing. <laughs> <laughs> when did you realize, when were you kind of, did you have to be kind of shoved into, okay, Jackie, we think you can do more than one thing. The heptathlon, look at this, you can do jumping and running, all this. Was it tough transition for you to go from, say, one or two events to a whole bunch of them? Well, you know, when you're an age grouper, when I started running at the age of nine, I really wasn't one of the best girls. You know, I wanted to be good, and I felt that if I would go to practice every day and see myself improving a tenth of a second mm -hmm. if I was running or a half of an inch if I was jumping, that meant that the work that I was doing was paying off. I like the versatility of the events, and also it's very challenging because as an athlete, you always feel that you're going to master all seven or you're going to do this one well. Mm -hmm. But it's a very humbling event, event too, because at one, at one point you're on a high, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're down at the bottom, mm -hmm. you know. And then in age group, when I was what, 14, 15, when I won the national t nationals titles at that time, you know, they would give you a gold medal for each event. So I got one if I won the hurdles, the high jump, <laughs> and then I go to the big league. You get one for all seven events, all that hard work, you just get one. But so I just loved it, and it's, it was challenging. And <laughs> tell me a little bit about your foundation, the work you're doing with kids. It's amazing. You know what? I I grew up coming through a community center, um, the Mayor Brown Center, and it made a difference in my life. And I really wanted to you know, help people. Mm -hmm. And at one point I wanted to open that community center, but that wasn't meant to be. And then in 2000, we opened up the Jackie Joyner Kersey Center in East St. Louis. Uh, we do after school programs, mentoring programs. Um, I'm a heavy believer in the senior, s senior citizens. So, uh, because I didn't really know my uh, grandparents per se, mm -hmm. or they weren't around. And that through that center, I became a part of the Meals on Wheels program. and. So with life skills and really just trying to instill hope, but then also uh, to give young people inspiration so they can aspire to be the best that they can be. Sure. So that's the work of it. And, and you used to do some hoops too. That was one of your loves there for a while, wasn't it? Yes. Basketball. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, basketball, the team sport, I love the team aspect and I learned so much uh, from it. it. You know, it kept me strong. And, you know, believe it or not, even though I went to UCLA, but I was recruited by, you know, the Badgers. I came hey. on a recruiting trip. They recruited me for basketball, but I, I really just How'd wanted to go? run track. How was the interview? Oh, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too cold. <laughs> <laughs> UCLA, Wisconsin, no. okay, Southern California. No. <laughs> but. Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Our Shields Nice Gal Award winner. It has been an absolute distinct pleasure for all of us. Thank you so Thank much, Jack. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the NUSACast. We appreciate your support. 
If you haven't yet subscribed, please do so and tell a friend. A huge thanks to Digstown for all the music in today's episode. Catch a gig or find them on Spotify. Northeastern Wisconsin Sports Advancement is a 501c3 organization. Our mission is to raise money, provide support, and create awareness for youth sports organizations in Northeastern Wisconsin. We do this primarily through the Red Smith Sports Award Banquet and the NoosaCast. Each year, we give back to the community through three initiatives, the Every Kid Plays, the Gives Back Initiative, and scholarships to student athletes. <laughs>